best League of Ireland podcast in the business. This is Off The Ball. Hey, it's Jamie Moore here. You're on the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast with you on OffTheBall.com every Wednesday. Now, very happy to welcome former Ireland man Blackburn, Burnley, St. Pat's, Draw United and more Keith Tracy's studio. Keith, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, Jay. Thanks for coming in. You're looking well, sir. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, Keith did a piece with Aidan Fitzmaurice in the Irish Independent this week and the headline reads I'm sober two years now and I want to play again former Ireland star Keith Tracy a terrible mixture of alcohol and depression put, the, put out the fire in the belly and dulled the talent which made the Dubliner Keith Tracy a Premier League player and an Ireland international at the age of 21 but now three years after he walked away from football planning to never play again the boy from Sheriff Street in Dublin has rediscovered the drive which had him within sight of greatness and Keith is in, in here to tell us his story about time in England playing under Giovanni Trapattoni and plans to put the boots back on and, and that's your plan Keith you're, you're uh, hoping to get ready to go again yeah well uh, <coughs> like I said I spoke to Aidan about it in, uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, I started seeing uh, a chiropractor probably yeah just a little over six weeks ago I gave him my history my background and my back and he spoke about it uh, had a look at it and he said to me in 12 weeks I could have you pain free so I'm halfway through that process now and I continually pushing and pushing myself to try and get me back to react I'm, I'm that sort of person I'm that way inclined but it, it keeps reacting well and uh, yeah everything keeps uh, the boxes keep getting ticked so ready to push on yeah, you moved to Blackburn in 2005 and you played in the Premier League, played over 50 games for Preston, played over 60 games for Burnley, had a couple of other loans and you came home and, and spent a little bit of time at Drada and St Pat's and then you stopped playing football and you haven't played football for the last couple of seasons. Why did you stop? Uh, <coughs> it was a concession of things. Uh, I think the the drink had worn my body down a lot. Obviously the, the phys- the physicality of the championship where I was mostly based over the years uh, I think took its toll on me as well and there was a lot of injuries that I got neglected over the years I just needed t- time to uh, completely step away from football refresh uh, physically and mentally and thankfully I'm in a place now where I can bring football back into my life and be productive with it as well How have those last couple of years been when football was all you knew as a kid it was all you knew from when you joined Blackburn in 2005 until your Pat season in 2016 that was all you knew and for the last couple of years you haven't had that uh, it's been quite easy because you know football to me is not no, the be all and end all I love it and I love watching it but when you have a family at home and you need to sort your own issues out you know football steadily goes back goes back really quickly in my eyes but I'm ready now I'm juggling things and you know I'm on top of on top of the family things I'm on top of the the drinking and uh, yeah like I say I think it's it's time to bring football back yeah four young kids as well to look after too which I'm sure uh, has uh, helped fill your time and interestingly as well folks Keith doesn't actually have a phone so not just a smartphone but doesn't actually have a phone so I got Keith through uh, in the phone I have it saved as Keith Tracy misses yeah. and I whatsapp you the other day saying will you come in for an interview and I text you to see if you were in the building and realised that you were in the building but you hadn't seen the whatsapp because you don't actually have a phone now I do uh, anybody who wants me or is, uh, wants to speak to me will they know where I live interesting you know, people yeah. like you can get me through my wife you know yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a nice little balance I don't have people pestering me I just uh, that's, you're all baffled by that for some reason that I don't have a phone but if people want to meet me they tell me a time and I'm there, it's, I'm just old school. Yeah, so if and when you get your new club and the manager wants to add you into the players' WhatsApp group for the, you know, to uh, you know, send in the stats or whatever, you won't be, it'll have to be your, your wife's phone. Yeah, send it to the wife's phone and uh, I'll, uh, I'll pretend to have a look at them there. Yeah, one warning to uh, Keith Tracy's wife, the stuff that goes on in those footballers' <laughs> WhatsApp groups, I don't think she might want to be a member of it. <laughs> oh, I think, she's well aware, she's well aware, she's seen me old phones back in the day, so she, uh, 
she's she's going in eyes wide open. Very good, very good. So before we speak about the now and and you know the issues that you faced over recent years, which you spoke so openly about in the Irish Independent. Let's go back to, to England, back to your time at Blackburn in 2008 when you played in the Premier League and then in 2010 when you made your Ireland debut and you have a number of caps for your country and at that time you had the footballing world at your feet. Yeah, it would seem so from, you know, when you throw them sort of facts at me then you would think, you know, everything's on the up. But in the background, the drinking was probably at its worst at Preston but I think I, I probably suffered because I was, I was so talented without trying to say that without a big head you know I think I could hide the drink on a Saturday I could hide the drink on a Tuesday I could play well or score a goal to make it look like I played okay and I got away with it for a, for a very long time over two years but my career was on an upward path and my, my, wage, my wages were on an upward path so everything seemed to be going well but you know once you leave the training ground there's nobody there <clears throat> well in my case there wasn't so you know, it was quite easy to hide all the things that were going on in the background. So, when you went to Blackburn as a young fan, you know, at the time you're trying to achieve a career in football, were you a, a kind of a full-time pro then, or had you started drinking even at that age? Uh, no, the, f- the first drink I had was me going away party in Dublin at 15. We uh, we all went down to the off-license and somehow got, got served drink. And it was in Fairview Park, we had, a, we had a couple of cans and I ended up, I flew to England the next day to uh, to start my career with Blackburn. But that, that was my first real taste of uh, alcohol and uh, yeah, me, uh, that was it. It was, I flew over there and you know, you have, a, you have house parents which, you know, don't really uh, look after you as well as they should. So, you know, that once again, that was quite easy to do whatever I wanted. And it's ironic that you would have your move to England came off the back of playing for Belvedere in Fairview Park. Yeah. And yeah. you're having your, your first drink as a fifteen year old in the same place where you had so many happy football memories and yeah. that was the start of your drinking even that young. Yeah, well, it's the first time I can uh, I can ever remember having a drink and, you know, starting to feel a bit drunk. So yeah, you can we can pinpoint it back to Fairview. So how quickly did you start to become a drinker? Uh, it was quite Quite soon after that, because uh, we we all got paired up when I when I landed, we got paired up, and I was with an English lad who was actually from Blackburn, uh, Frankie Field, and he's uh, I think he's playing for Millwall at the minute. Is he a goalkeeper? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So me and him were roommates in, in the digs, but he lived in Blackburn, so he he went home quite regularly, so I was left alone quite a lot. And because I went over at fifteen, I didn't have uh, whatever UEFA license I needed to play, so I would find myself training with the under 18s or the reserves or sometimes the 14, even at 15. So I was making friends that were above my age and were drinking a lot. So, you know, people like Jonathan Douglas and, you know, Gavin Pears were at Blackburn. I was, you know, quickly paired with them and, you know, was a couple of years ahead of my time, really. How were you able to perform at such a level if you had already started to drink? And, you know, these days you see young footballers 16, 17, 18, 19, they're in the gym all the time, they ha- you know, every, their every movement is tracked, they wear you know, a, a small vest with a, a, like a small chip in it that tracks their movements, they're running, they're sprinting, their load, all that sort of stuff through GPS. And at that stage you were at a top club and you were in the Premier League. Uh, well, at Blackburn, I, I went a long time without actually ever, I, think I, was there, I was at the club for seven years and I think I played uh, 22 top flight games from them, which is ridiculous over that time scale. But, you know, once again, I, I would be too good for the reserves, but not good enough for the force team. So I would travel with the force team and not play. And then they'd say, oh, well, the reserves want you, but don't play them in the reserves because we might need them in the force team next week. So I quickly found myself in limbo. I got, I got to that stage in my career quite quickly where I was in limbo. And, you know, I, I was never really put under the pressure 
that I should have been. And when you're that age, I think the body can take that bit of drink and, you know, I think enthusiasm and, like I say, that, that bit of talent mastered off of me. So you made your Premier League debut in 2008. Mm. Bring us back to what you remember about that. It, the, I, well, I remember it was the first day of the season, but I remember the pre-season we had was in Austria and Paul Ince was, was the gaffer. And he used to put the, a flip chart up every morning of what we're doing and the plan and uh, whatever we wanted to do for the night. But Keith will tell you this as well. The, uh, <coughs> one of the nights, we were, we were going out so much over there that one of the nights somebody put on the board, please gaffer, can we stay in tonight? As a joke. And like Paul Ince used to let us drink wine because he was quite continental with what he's thinking. But you know, some of us took that to a different level and you know, pre-season was non-existent and you could tell by Christmas Paul Ince ended up getting the sack and it was because the players didn't prepare right in the pre-season. It was too much of a drinking culture. Yeah, and the Keith that Keith mentioned is Keith Andrews, who had a show here on Off the Ball, currently the Ireland Under 21 assistant manager and doing lots of work for Sky Sports as well. And Keith would have been a teammate with the other Keith beside me here at Blackburn too. So you're in pre season for the Premier League, you're about to make your Premier League debut, and in those days, the culture of drinking around football was clearly still there. Yeah, it was still quite big. At, uh, at Blackburn, it was anyway. And, you know, I, I remember uh, I, the, the first thing I did when I signed for Blackburn was my family had to meet Graham Souness. And he was a he. I think he had a some sort of boot on his foot. I, I think he had gout or something. And my man and dad said, "Oh, that's that's a, a rich man's disease. You know, they get it from red wine and <laughs> you know steak and that." And he said something about drinking. And then I went to meet Gary Flickcroft because he was the team captain. And the first thing he said to me was, "Don't ever miss a night out." And you know, obviously, I took that quite literally and never miss a night out. Well, yeah, it was just little things I think you can pinpoint them back to. But, you know, this is not me blaming these people. These are me just, you know, acknowledging what happened and being able to deal with it and move on. I'm not pinpointing blame on anybody else's feet here. So around that time as well, you're in, involved in Ireland squads and Giovanni Trapattoni was the manager. And that's when I first started to cover the Irish team on a full-time basis, you know, on radio and going to all the games and the press conferences. And, and you know, that Ireland squad still had the Shea Givens and the Damien Duffs and the Richard Dunns and anybody you can think of, all these top players, Robbie Keynes, were all in that squad. And at the age of 21, you were deemed at that level to be in that squad and to make your, your Ireland debut. Yeah, it was, uh, it was brilliant. I, I remember when I got the phone call off of... Uh uh, Marco Tardelli, I, I ended up thinking it was a prank phone call coming from Dublin because it was such a, a dodgy English accent. But you know, obviously Marco has a broken English. But yes, uh, Led Sean Saint Ledger had to ring me and tell me it was all kosher. And yeah, we got the phone call that I was going to be in the Argentina squad, and I ended up playing. It was brilliant. But you know, once again, the drink was all happening in the background there. But your your career is on an upward curve. That you know, you can't think, oh well, I can drink and do this and you know, all the signs were still leading up for me, so, you know, why would I stop what I was doing at the time? Yeah, you always wonder how a, a footballer finds out they're in the Ireland squad for the first time. Mm. And for you, it was the assistant coach, Marco Tardelli, who's the an Italian man, time, yeah. who, whose English, has to be said, was much better than Trapattoni's, but still not perfect. And you're wondering, at the time, of course, when you had a phone, is this actually real? Yeah, well, I had a couple of dodgy mates back in Dublin, so I wasn't sure whether <laughs> it was one of them uh, taking the mick or not. But yeah, like I said, Ledge got on the phone and told me it was all kosher. So yeah, that was how I found it. That Argentina game, was that the, was that the opening game of TV with the first game? It was the first one, yeah. And Mr. Lionel Messi was playing? Messi came off just as I was coming on, oh. so I nearly got to touch him, I did. Yeah. Or kick him, perhaps? Well, no, nah, he, he's actually, you know, he, you can imagine the sort of hysteria around him. And after the game, 
rather than, I can imagine how many players asked him for his jersey, he literally just came in with a black bag, well he didn't, the kit man did, and just dropped a load of number 10 Argentina jerseys, about 20 of them, but the lads just dived on them, so I didn't even get one, it was crazy. God, well maybe he's watching our League of Ireland podcast and he might give you one now. Yeah, I do. You're just looking at an image here on, on the piece in the Indo Keith of yourself and Trapatoni and, you know, he was one of the most respected football managers in the world at that stage and you know people had debates about his style of play but he got quite good results and you know yep. you know he brought us to the, to the Euros and, and so on and an image of you there on screen wearing the number 18 and that really nice black and green Ireland kit. What are your memories of your Ireland days and also playing with the types of players I mentioned? Uh, yeah, like Duffer, I grew up uh, watching Duffer playing on the left wing, tried to you know model my game on him, obviously went to Blackburn and he went to Chelsea and yeah, to get in squads with Duffer and Shea and Dunny and you know all the all the more experienced lads was was uh, absolutely brilliant. And I have to say, Kevin Kilban is probably the one of the nicest people I've ever met in football. He was absolutely spot on with me. He was the one who put me at ease because of the Preston connection. He was the first one who said hello to me at the time, and he really put me at ease. And th yeah, looking back at that, that was in uh, that was in Belgium, wasn't it? Against Italy that yeah. game. Yeah, that was a. Uh, yeah, but even that that game that we flew to Belgium, but when we got to Belgium. I remember being drunk, I remember being hung over in the hotel and I think a training session actually got cancelled because a couple of the lads had, had a bit of drink on them at the time and it was always all in the background, like these memories are all good and football memories are great looking back on them but I can always see just beyond the surface of it and you know what was really behind them. So if the theme of your football career so far is football at the top level but also drink, mm. that was able to continue throughout up until the last couple of years the rest of your career playing for Ireland your other clubs in, in the UK you know after you have Preston you went to Burnley alone at Sheffield Wednesday Barnsley before you came home and that was still a theme going on in your life yeah it was it was a constant from from the age of probably yeah, 15 turning 16 it was a it was the one constant you know win lose draw injured not injured whichever whatever's going on in my life you know I can go to the pub at night and there was nobody to say otherwise to me in my life at the time you know is that something you look back on now and, and wish, if you could go back in time, that you had someone to say stop or, 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 or the clubs or the international team or whatever, where the culture, because at that stage you're a young player and because the senior players have been doing it for so long, it becomes the norm and you did it and then you weren't a young player anymore, you were a senior player expected to perform every week, earning lots of money, playing for your country and trying to, to, to balance that with, with the drink and, and the impact that has on your body. Uh, it's it's hard, you know, when, like I say, when, you, when your career seems to be going from level to level and, you know, I was, I was going through the gears, I was in the Premiership playing for Ireland then and everything seemed fine, so if somebody had have stopped me and said, Keith, you need to stop drinking, I don't think they could have given me a valid reason for me because everything seemed to be on the up. But, you know, when you talk about health, I always thought I was healthy enough because of what I was doing in the gym at the time, but, you know, the damage that I've done to my body over the years... I thought was you know irreversible. Thankfully, you know I've got to a place now where I'm going, I'm walking around pain free, and I feel good. So, yeah, like I say, it's uh, it's it's a hard one, really. So we're January 2015 now, and you've just signed a two-year contract with Barnsley. Mm. But shortly after that, you're home, and again speaking to Aidan, you spoke about the drink, and you also spoke about being depressed, and and you just decided I need to be back in Dublin, even though you had a two-year contract, which. Most people looking at this podcast or listening will go, God, why would he leave? Why would he leave that? Yeah, it's understandable. I know people people say to me all the time, how could you walk away from something like that? But that's, the drink was really bad at Barnsley because I, that deal should never have happened. I, uh, I turned down a deal at, to go back to Burnley at the time 
the uh, six months out from uh, Burnley being promoted before that, I had been told that yeah, whether it's Championship or Premiership, you're getting a contract, but we can't offer you the contract because we don't know what way structure you're going to be on. So the agent, my agent said, yeah, listen, it's all fine, it's sorted, we're just waiting to see what league you're in. That was quickly pulled away from me, but Sean Dyche was adamant it was the board that didn't want me, not him, he loved me and blah de blah but he, he wanted me back on a trial basis, basically, which I wasn't uh, prepared to do. And, you know, in hindsight, obviously, that's, that wasn't a great decision. But I played 38 games that season and thought, you know, there'll be a, there'll be a few championship clubs that'll come in for me and I can keep my career going somewhere else. But, yeah, my agent came up with Barnsley and, you know, I, I went there and I, it was the Wednesday and the season was starting on the Saturday. And it, they, they literally said, why don't you go and just have a look? And I went to have a look and then he said, well, why don't you just have a medical just in case it, you do fancy it? Next thing I knew, I was bleeding, had a Barnsley thing in my hand and I'd signed and I was thinking, what on earth has happened here? And yeah, the, the drinking continued and, you know, I was missing more and more days than I should have been. And, you know, the club actually kept it quite quiet at the time. I'm sure they were, they were fully aware of how much I was drinking. And, you know, when I, when I walked away, I think they knew the reason as well. And, you know, thankfully they, uh, they kept it quiet. So how do you go from being a Premier League Championship footballer, Ireland International, to not playing football? And apart from the sports side of things, you know, people often speak about being around a group of lads and, and you know, the mental side and also, to be straight, the money. And you would have been on thousands of euro a week and then you went for a couple of years to earn a nothing. And I'm not sure if you were on the dollar or how you worked out if you had money saved, but you, you know, you go from being up there to home and, and maybe happier, but the football is gone and the, the massive amount of money you would have been earning, the cars, all that stuff is, is, is gone. Yeah, well, it, it took... It took Years and I think I've I done you know just over just over three years of therapy to to deal with everything that I had in 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 the locker and you know it's it's still it's a nice blanket to know that me uh, me therapist she only lives down the road so whenever I you know it's a nice safety blanket for me there if I ever need to go back. But in terms of dealing with it, you know I I laid everything out. I spoke to people. I told everything. My wife how I felt and you know she was really good through it all. She. Uh, she stuck it all together. She was the, the glue, you know, so it's probably best asking her that question, really. Yeah. But it, it was hard, but, you know, I took a lot of advice on board and I did what people wanted me to do, even though I didn't trust in what was happening. And thankfully, I came out the other side. Well, I do have her number, Keith, so I could ask her. <laughs> I could, uh, she, she could be our next guest. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> she'd have a lot to say about me. So you're, uh, you're speaking about all that stuff in England and, and the club maybe keeping things quiet and you're missing days because you're hungover or you're drunk or whatever it was and, and you know, you can't train. Did anyone ever offer you help? Did anyone say to you, listen, do you want to speak to someone? Do you, do you, you know, because you, you, you've got help and you're now sober two years and you want to play again. But at that stage, these clubs you know, have so much money and have so many departments to them. Is one of them not player welfare like? Yeah, there is. The, the PFA over there, to be fair, aren't very good. They're very reactive, you know, they're not, they're not proactive for any situation that I've seen. Yeah, and the, Eddie Howe tried to get me, uh, tried to, he asked me to get down to Tony Adams' uh, sporting yeah. chance thing. But I, every player will tell you the same, you know, it was a 50-50 in that team whether I'd play or whether it was a, a fella called Junior Stanislas at the time. So the gaffer asked me if I wanted to go to help to rehab would give Junior an up on me. So I was saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine, you know, I'll sort it out myself. So you never really admit it to yourself because you don't want anybody to have, you know, the other left winger to have something over you. So the gaffer will go, oh, he's playing, he's not. So I, I never really, plus I, you know, when somebody, I didn't believe I had a problem because I was functioning at such a high level, I thought, well, I can't be an alcoholic because 
I get up every day, I train every day, I'm, I'm in okay shape, I'm doing okay wage-wise, I have a job, so that to me, aren't, they're not alcoholic characteristics, but when you really think of the definition of what an alcoholic is, then, you know, yeah, I definitely wasn't. When did you admit that to yourself or come to the conclusion that you were an alcoholic? Yeah, probably only recently in the, in the therapy, you know, but... It was it was Sean Dyche. He, he taught me so much in my career. But he was the one. He asked me when he first came to the club, uh, was I an alcoholic? And I said no. And he said, you know the definition of an alcoholic. And I said, well, somebody who has to, when they get up, they have to drink, you know, some whiskey, or they have to start drinking as soon as they wake up. He said, no, no. And he got into the things of a functional alcoholic. And I quickly, when he was explaining it to me, I thought, you know, he's hitting the nail on the head with me here. But obviously, I didn't tell him that. But that was probably the first time I thought, yeah, maybe there is a problem here. So I'm going to skip your time at Drodden Pats and go back to us. I want to finish on the football. But the headline in the end though is I'm sober two years now. Mm. When did you have your last drink? What made you, can you remember where you were, what you had? And two years on, you've Christmases, birthdays, you know, wedding anniversaries, mm. all that sort of stuff. You've, you've, you've been able to stay sober, but you had to make a decision at some stage to go, that's my last drink. Yeah, well, it, I never set out to to stop drinking, even when I was in therapy, that the, you know she never she never said, listen, in however many months' time you're going to be completely sober, because I wouldn't have been open to that idea. But she said, you know, we'll we'll mend little ways of thinking, and you know, we'll we'll see how we go. And it's it's a slow, gla gradual road, you know, for anybody who is thinking of going to get help and just put your trust in people, and you know, you'll come out the other side. It was it was a difficult, difficult road, but you know, I'm here now. I'm sober and. I'm not fighting every day, you know, to go to the pub. It's, I have other things to occupy my time, and I think that's probably the key. How does it feel not to be hung over a lot? Like, to wait, everyone goes out for a few points, you know, the weekend or whatever, or, you know, people who drink certainly do, and yeah. you wake up next morning and you go, I'm never going to drink again because you feel so terrible, and that would have been you lots of days. Yeah, but I, I had the opposite way. If I woke up with a hangover, I would go straight to the pub. I would make an excuse to not go training and go straight to the pub, and... You know, it's not like I didn't have enough money to do it. I didn't have to go to work, so all them times, you know, all the I could do basically whatever I wanted. All I had to, you know, how loose footballers can be. Yeah, it's it's just such a loose lifestyle that you could get away with it in the background. It's probably a little bit different now since I've come away from it, but back then it was uh, yeah, really really loose. What would you say to a young player now? And maybe in the UK, but even here in Ireland, because people now, a couple, a couple of weekends ago, was leaving the results and all the players are out and whatever. But you see now on Instagram, young players in England, and they're, they're just turned 18, for example, and they're playing the Championship or Premier League or wherever they are. They're with that club, and Saturday night they're in a nightclub, and there's this bottle of vodka with the sparklers coming out, and this really nice looking girl bringing it out to them, and they're all there, and they're loving it, and this is the lifestyle. And maybe for them it's just once a month or once every two weeks, but they're painting this picture of being a party boy. And that's not what football is now, but they still do it and they want to be seen to do it more than anything else. We had a discussion about phones earlier on and you're not on social media, but lots of them are. And you see it and they get likes and they get comments and, and they think they can get girls and all this sort of stuff from it. Yeah, well, that, the social media ones, it's, it's a crazy one, you know. I got bit on the arse with that one a couple of years ago when I learned my lesson. I, I stay away from that from, for good now. So, and I would encourage my kids to do it. Like I say, just, I have a couple of kids running around, so... When you're trying to preach to them about time on the internet and what they should and shouldn't be doing and, you know, putting a picture up of what you're eating on Instagram should never have priority over anything, really. I, I think it's this whole social media craze is mental, but, you know, when you're trying to practice what I'm preaching with my kids, you know, so 
yeah, I see, I see no need for a, you know me to have a phone at the minute. And not just the social media for these lads now, but just the fact that they are out and they're you know six hundred pounds, eight hundred pounds, a thousand pounds for a table in some nightclub, and they get their bottles of vodka and they get this and they get that and they can. You know, if they want, they can ask girls who are out having a dance. We're footballers. We have vodka. Do you want? We have drinks. You want to come up? You want to come up? And, and that's not the right. I've had a couple of mates who've been away, and you you go to visit them, and you're in this nightclub, and you're behind this little barrier, and the bouncers are there, and it's it's, it's mental. But yeah. the one thing I would say to people is beware, because the last girl who came up to me in a nightclub, I had a baby for. Okay. And we, uh, she took. Uh, I think it was 25% of my money for 10 years, so... Okay. You know, you're not as good looking as you think when <laughs> when all these women keep coming up to you. There's a reason they come up to you, so... Yeah, just just be a bit clever with it. There is times you can do it and times you can't do it. Just keep your eyes open. Yeah, so you have four kids, so three here with your wife? Three here with my wife and one over in England, yeah. Okay, so there you go. That's the, the story of a night out and... Yeah. What happened? Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> it is what it is, but listen, yeah, go in. I used to think, you know, oh, these women coming up to me, oh, I must be gorgeous, artist the Irish accent. It's not, it's, they know exactly who you are and they know exactly what they're after, so try and keep your eyes on. Yeah. So let's finish on the football, Keith. 2015, you come home. Johnny McDonnell, who is now the director yeah. of coaching at Belvedere, and you've been doing some coaching with them because uh, you're, back, you're back living at home in the inner city, is the manager of Drogheda. Mm. First division or Premier Division at the time? Premier, they must have Still been. Premier, yeah. yeah. They got, I think they got relegated that year. Yeah, so the news comes out that Keith Tracy is home and he's signed for the Drogs. Bring me to then. Yeah, that was, that was completely out of the blue. I was just sitting at home with the wife and my phone rang at the time and John said, listen, uh, Drop it around doing so well. Would you fancy coming in? You know, there's no no pressure. He told me about how perilous it looked at the time, and yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, I'll come in, and I ended up. I played one game against Limerick, and I think we we got beat four 0 and John left the game after, so he done me a real favour there and left me there for three months by myself. But yeah, that that was that was the story of Drada. How was your first League of Ireland experience and, and again you've gone from the Prem and, and playing for Ireland you know some people would say well sorry it is a step down mm. but lots of people have done it and you didn't go to a top club at that stage but you enjoyed your football as far as I remember yeah well I made I made a big mistake uh, leaving Preston to go to Burnley and it was largely because everybody thought Preston was a smaller club in comparison to uh, Burnley which it probably was at the time but you know we, we just got relegated but that that turned out in hindsight to be a bad move for me because I was very happy at Preston and you know Burnley the fans never really took to me because I had played for Preston and Blackburn so yeah when the League of Ireland I started thinking about coming back and John rang I said yeah well why why go to a big club but why, why don't I go with John you know I just as much chance of being happy there so you play for Drada and then the St. Pat's manager at the time, Liam Buckley, gives you a ring. Mm -hmm. You sign there. It's you know one of the top teams in the league with lots of top players pick on screen there. If you're doing a media day before, he's uh, a bit of weight in them cheeks. There. <laughs> you, can, you can tell I'm drinking there. Yeah, really. Yeah, look at the bleeding size of them cheeks. I look like I'm storing chestnuts in there. Okay, but you can look at those photos now and and think those things and realize, yeah, I was drinking then. Well, yeah, jeez, can okay. you Yeah. So for those who are listening to the podcast, it's a, it's a photo of Keith sitting on a football in St. Pat's gear in front of a wall, you know, sports file or info, they do these, these yeah, photo shoots. Yeah. You were doing a media day. You're still drinking, evidently enough, but you're playing for Pat's, you're playing in the Europa League qualifiers mm. in Luxembourg and against a team from Belarus, uh, I think. Uh, Minsk, yeah, Belarus, yeah. yeah. Um, and again, you're, you know, you hadn't, had you played in Europe before in England? Were, were any of those clubs involved in Europe at the no, time? I don't think they were. Uh, Blackburn made it to Europe, but I never, I don't okay. think I made the squad to the okay. UEFA Cup. So you've come home, you're still drinking and you're playing in the Europa League in, in high stakes games, which are worth a lot, you know, lots of money to the football club and the players get their bonuses and yeah. you're, you're kind of back at a, you know, at a, you know, 
probably quite a high level of football then. Yeah, well, that that space, uh, we got through the Luxembourg game, we got knocked out in Minsk, but uh, yeah, that was all within a time of about three weeks. Yeah. So for three weeks, I switched, I switched on and tried and, you know, I was really motivated because we were aware of how much money was at stake uh, per game, so yeah, well, I was highly motivated for that and, you know, I think I, I played quite well in them two games, so yeah, the signs were there that if the fire came back, I could uh, I could perform still. So, you know, like I say, I'm at a time now where that fire's back. Yeah, you're on the Off The Ball League of Ireland podcast. It's Jamie Moore here with former Ireland man Keith Tracy. And League of Ireland managers and clubs, beware, because he's making a comeback. One of the best left foots in football that I've seen. Like, so good. So good. And uh, you're back doing a bit of training. You're, you're back, your actual back is getting better via a chiropractor. And... You're ready to go if someone wants to give you a ring. Possibly not now with the League of Ireland being nearly finished, but certainly for a pre-season in January, you're, you're ready to give it a go again. Yeah, well, you know, I'm open to anything at the minute. You know, I'd like to get a couple of months under my belt to get myself really fit and, you know, make an impact next season. But, you know, if somebody needs me to fill a hole or wants me to come in and, you know, have a look at me, you know, I'm open to whatever at the minute. How will it be getting back to that level of fitness, given you've stopped drinking, and I'm sure your body feels great, yeah, but you I haven't... I honestly think it'll be yeah. a walk in the park because okay. I'm not drinking. You know, the way most of it has walked off me now, so with only, you know, little bits of exercise here and there with in me, uh, the rehab with me back. So once uh, once the rains come off with me with me back, then we can really attack it and I can lose this uh, last bit of puppy fat. Yeah, and you're only 30 as well, so you still feel you've got, a, you know, some years left. You said you're not going to go back to England, so it's it's a league of Ireland that you're looking at. Uh, yeah, listen, I said I wouldn't go back to England, but if somebody comes in with 20 grand a week, <laughs> I, I'll quickly change my mind. But, uh, no, I, I remember looking at Roger Federer playing in the Wimbledon final and everybody was, he's 37, he's 38, and you know, he was torn in 38. I thought why not why can't I do that and it was literally just uh, everything kept going because you have a pain in your back because the drink now had had subsided at the time so it was just a back issue and now the back is starting to be addressed and everything feels good so you know why not go out with a positive mindset and see where it brings me it's great to see you smiling and happy and Mm. really ready to go again because I'm sure over those couple of years and, and longer you, you probably thought this moment wouldn't come but you're smiling and it's 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 nice to be sitting here and hearing you speaking in, in, in those terms like yeah, well, you know, when life moves on, you know, and nobody was waiting around for me to get better, so you quickly realise that, you know, if you want to function and you want to uh, keep doing what you're doing in life, then you have to move on and keep leave things in the past. And once I addressed of the reasons why I was drinking and why I felt I needed to do that, then, you know, it's, it's quickly, quickly subsides. And lastly, Keith, what are you looking forward to most about being a footballer again? Eh... Uh, I, I think just the buzz of getting to a ground and the fans starting to fill up and I'd, 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 I'd like to score a goal again before I finish and that, that I think I, somebody said to me the other day I'm not sure how true it is though that I played 199 professional games which really annoys me Right. So I'd like to try and get that up over 200 anyway so yeah I'd like to if scoring a goal is probably the one and just getting back the smell of grass when you're, when you're walking out to the pitch and you know the sprinkler starting to go on it's just the, little, the buzz of it coming back well, if it's a League of Ireland game, I'll be there to cheer you on. We'll do an interview afterwards and talk about that 200th game and that goal. Yeah, well, well, that goal, yeah, no pressure. Key, thanks for coming in. Best of luck. Anytime, bud. Off the Balls League of Ireland podcast.